Yeah, so uh, lovely to be with you. Um, today I've got a word, I know that for many of us uh, persevering under COVID and restrictions and for some of us job losses or job challenges, I know for many it's felt like a tougher time than usual uh, if we look over our whole lives. And we were singing that song now, Your Goodness is Running After Me and I've Seen Your Goodness All of My Life. But I think for some of us we were wondering like, I have seen your goodness all of my life, except for the last two years. And there is that meme about, um, from uh, that Back to the Future meme, where the scientist says to um, his sidekick, and if you've watched the movie, you can send the time machine to any year in history or future. And he says, whatever you do, do not send the car to 2020. And it kind of has felt like that. It's just felt absolutely uh, crazy. But I really felt that the Lord wanted to sense us today, wanted to encourage us today, that nothing actually has changed. The testing may be greater, the trials may be greater, but nothing has actually changed from the heavenly aspect. And uh, Jacques actually shared that last week when he came back from being up north in Hoodsprayt. God hasn't changed. It's kind of we've changed. Uh, if uh, you know, with some of us, it's uh, that are not feeling the presence of God. We're like, geez, where's God? You know, does he live in China and I live in South Africa? But actually, God is still here. His presence is actually here today, and His presence is still in your bedroom, still in your lounge, still where you are. And uh, this word today is to encourage us. And for many of us, we may actually feel. Like a word to summarize uh, perhaps our last two years or if we've gone through a difficult trial or a difficult time, something's happened to your car or something's happened to someone you love or etc. That it may feel like something strange. And if that is the case, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It actually might be because you're doing something right. And we actually, thank you for that, out, out in mask land. It's lovely to get some, because some, I can only see your eyes, and I know you're trying to smile with your eyes, but uh, it's much harder than with your mouth. Uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, let's have a look at that. This is from the ESV. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. As though something strange were happening to you. Does that, is that familiar? Does that kind of minister to anyone here? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You share Christ's sufferings or share in the sufferings of Christ. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And we're going to open up that today. And we know that... In the life of Paul, the apostle, bring up 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 27, that trials and sufferings was not something strange to him, actually, that he became very used to it. And I'd like to suggest to us today that we are no different to the apostle Paul. You know, we sometimes look at the apostle Paul and he's like up there and we're like, that's suffering is just for him. But actually, there's no difference between Paul 
and us, the Bible refers to Elijah, great Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, as being a man just like us, or a human being. There's no major difference between when we look at his life. We see that Paul went through a lot of suffering, and uh, it's a it's a big verse, but uh, let's go through it. Paul talking, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. It's just a moment of speaking freely. May I talk freely? Uh, I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24, five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's pretty hectic. Once I was pelted with stones, whether those rods were wooden or steel, they could have been steel. Seriously, like they didn't muck around in those days. Once I was pelted with stones, and I can tell you stones are hard. There's no debate about that. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. And in, in those days, there would have been a death sentence. There was no hope. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. I mean, there's like nowhere to go. In danger at sea and in danger from false believers. Verse 27, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. And I know some of us have gone without sleep because we've had like, you know these guys, these older guys that wake up in the morning at like, 4.30, and you're like so in awe because they can wake up and have a 4.30. Sometimes they can't sleep at 4.30. <laughs> They've got so much drama happening. There we go. There's a hand. Um, you know, sometimes like lost sleep. You are, it's Chris, you're not the only one, okay? Paul went through it too, okay? So be encouraged. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. So I think most of us look at that and it's probably makes our stuff look like like quite cool. We're actually having good lives compared to Paul. That might not be the case. Some of us might look at that and go, man, I just feel like Paul right now. And it's interesting how sometimes we don't have to go through all of that to feel like Paul. We can go through just a few things and go, but I feel like that. I just feel like I've come to the end of my joy. I'm just one foot in front of the other every day. And Paul, we're going to look at a scripture, and this is my actual, my central scripture for this afternoon, is Paul, who has gone through all this stuff, writes this to us in Romans 12, 11 to 12. And he says in the ESV, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at each little line there. And a much, uh, this, this uh, other version, which is the Berean Study Bible version, it just hit me like a ton of bricks when I read it. It's, I don't even think we got it on the computer, so I got uh, Chris to actually put it up as, as a slide. And it says, do not let your zeal subside. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, persistent in prayer. And that line there, do not let your zeal subside. 
summarized in modern English. Stay on fire. Stay on fire. Do not let your zeal subside. And if anyone had an excuse to let their zeal subside, if anyone had an excuse to let the fire grow dim, it was Paul. We've just seen what Paul went through. But he's saying, stay on fire. Do not let your zeal subside. How many of us do we feel like our zeal, myself included, is starting to subside a little bit? You know, sometimes it's up and then it's down, but sometimes it feels like it's more down than it's up. And this is the word of God to us. Do not let your zeal subside. Sign in the LPM. Every single one of you, stay on fire. Written by someone that could have an excuse not to write that. He's telling us, he went through it, he's telling us, stay on fire. Do not let your zeal subside. It's a great word for us. Stay on fire. And you, and you might say, no, you can't stay on fire during COVID. I, I can't go to meetings. I go to meetings every second week. Come, I can't even see people's faces half the time. I can't greet my brothers with a holy kiss. Certainly not. I can't even do a Josh Jen hug. I can't stay on fire. But the word of God doesn't change. Our circumstances may change, but the word of God doesn't change. Do not let your zeal subside. Stay on fire. Stay on fire. Like if I go every second week here and come is I can't eat and fellowship like we used to. Stay on fire. Do not let your zeal subside. It's a strong word for us. An inspiration to millions over the last 200 years, John Wesley, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. You know, it's a very individual thing. And I think in COVID, it's been harder than ever because we're not getting the fire from the group so much. And that's when we need to light ourselves on fire as Wesley did. Light yourself on fire. The next part, if we can just bring up that uh, slide again, Chris. The next part says, keep your spiritual fervor. And it's very much along the same lines. And the definition of the word fervor is intense and passionate feeling. I mean, those are strong words the dictionary tells us for fervor. Intense Are you intense about the Lord right now? Are you passionate about the Lord right now? Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep that spiritual intensity. Keep that spiritual passion. And Paul again, who is the incredible example of staying on fire. And this, I was looking for a scripture that caught my heart on staying on fire. And I felt like Acts 21, 13 captured it for me anyway then Paul answered why are you weeping and breaking my heart I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus that's fire that's passion that's him looking everyone else's like weeping and he said you're breaking my heart stay on fire I'm ready to go all the way and that's what I want to look at it today. As we, look, as we open that up, I'm hoping that you leave here going, man, I feel like Paul. I want to be recalibrated. And, and even as the Holy Spirit uh, used Paul to write these words, that we would be encouraged and fired up. That we would say, you know what? Just because it's COVID and just because of whatever, 
the word of God doesn't change to me. Keep your spiritual fervor. The, uh, if we can come back to the slide, Chris. Serving the Lord. The Greek word is doulos. Uh, Andrew did a huge teaching and said it, suggested it could even be slave. Serve Jesus with all your heart. Continue to serve Jesus. Serve the Lord. Just keep on going. Don't stop. Just keep on going. Serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope. And this is a big one. I've got like four pages on this one. <laughs> Be joyful in hope. Okay, the Greek word for hope is alpos. And it comes, a definition from Strong's is an expectation of what is sure. So be joyful because of an expectation of what is sure. There's a few things that are fixed right now in the universe, and they are, for you, secured by Jesus for you. And those are the things that you need to, that need to create that joyfulness. Because you've got your hope is anchored there. Now to think about, to capture this idea of expectation or uh, an inevitability is sometimes uh, a word I feel like can help us. For those of you that have watched the Matrix movie, it's a brilliant movie. It's about, is it, is it nearly 20 years old now? 15 years old? Um, and it probably will still stand its ground. Uh, we're probably talking kids 14 plus uh, before all the kids in this session just run off to go watch it. Um, but it's a, a fairly clean movie. It's got a bit of language and violence. Um, but there is a, a part in the movie where there's a sense of inevitability. It's like no matter what the protagonist, which is Mr. Anderson, no matter what Mr. Anderson does, everything's just going to happen anyway. The machines are going to take over. And there's nothing they can do about it. There's a sense of inevitability. And the main representative of the machines, which is Agent Smith, grabs the protagonist, Mr. Anderson, and holds him down on the train track. So kids, hold into your seats. And there's a train coming. And he's holding him there, and he's so powerful that Mr. Anderson can't get free. And you can hear the sound of the train coming around the corner, the, the, the sound of, the, of the, the wheels on the track. You know, that, like, that awful feeling, that awful, the worst. If you're on train tracks, it's the worst sound you ever want to hear. I mean, you, you'll hear anything, but you don't want to hear that sound. It's like, train is coming. And as he's held there, Agent Smith says in that very calm, calibrated voice. You hear that, Mr. Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. Classic part in that movie. There is inevitability as we stay in Jesus that's going to happen to us that it doesn't matter what happens. It's going to happen. The good things. We are going Jesus is going to accomplish his purpose in your life. And there's an inevitability that you have joy in. You're like, you know what? Do whatever you want. 
I know where I'm going. It's going to happen. And Ephesians 1 really captures that, that for us. And that's why it's so really important that we anchor ourselves in Scripture. Because Scripture tells us what's true and what's not true. Don't go on your emotions. Emotions go up and down. Don't go on wishful thinking. Go on the Word of God. Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. And this stuff will anchor you. I remember going through a real tough time in my life. I think I broke up with a girl, not Donna. And um, I was really shaken. You know, I thought that that would kind of go all the way. And, and, and Ephesians 1 anchored me. In him we're also chosen. There's a few little gems here. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everyone say, works out everything. That sounds quite inevitable to me. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. You are for the praise of God's glory. Now, of course, Calvin loved Ephesians, uh, for the Calvinists out there, because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Calvinistic kind of thinking in here, but it is the Word of God. I will say when I'm feeling very romantic with Jesus, I'm a Calvinist, because he chose me. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, have a look at this, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So if you have the Holy Spirit, who's got the Holy Spirit? You know you've got the Holy Spirit. That's the guarantee of your inheritance. It's like you're getting a million bucks soon. And that's what's creating that hope in you. It's coming. We don't even know what we're getting. The scriptures say, I think it's in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, no eye has seen nor ears heard what God has prepared for those who love him. But I know it's going to be awesome. Because if God can put on a show, you know it's going to be incredible. I mean, look at the earth. It's going to be earth 2.0. It's going to be incredible. And that is coming to us in Jesus. And that is what creates our joy in hope. So if we go back to that slide there, Chris. So where it says, um, be joyful in hope. That's the source of your joy. Your source of your joy is not if whether you're having a good day or not. The source of your joy is you are going to have a good day for eternity. And that's coming. And it's guaranteed because the Holy Spirit's been given to you as a deposit, guaranteeing that which is going to come. And he will use all things in conformity with the purpose of his will to move you in that direction. And we'll look at a few things that may affect that. 1 Peter 1, 8, 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Remember, we're looking at joy, joy, joy and hope, yeah? You are filled with an expressible, inexpressible, and glorious joy. Woohoo! Are you filled with that joy? The Scripture actually says that you are, so you just got to engage that. The Holy Spirit in you wants to connect to that truth. Yeah? So, it's, the Lord wants it to happen, okay? 
So it's a, <laughs> make it happen. There's Arminianism for you. Make it happen. Jeez. No, you need his, you need his help. You definitely need his help. You can't do it by yourself. Uh, for you are receiving the goal of your faith. So that's why you're joyful, because even every single day, you know that you are, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And salvation of your soul is worth a, a, more than a million bucks. If I have to say I've got a million dollars, because dollars is more attractive, I've got a million dollars right now to give to you in, in exchange for your faith. You give me your faith, you can't have faith anymore, I'll give you a million dollars. I don't, but let's just say I had. I've never been in a meeting that anyone in the meeting said, I'll do that, I'll do that exchange. Why not? Because a million dollars will not buy you eternity, but your faith will. And that's why it's worth more than anything. All right, if we can come back to uh, that slide. Uh, actually, just before we go there, uh, Philippians 4.4. 4. Um, he has another one. Rejoice in the Lord always. So notice the big word there is always. Sure, what a challenge, eh? What a challenge in COVID to be joyful always. I was up in the, uh, in the, in the fishbowl before we started the session and guys are coming in, you know, how's your day? And everyone's like, oh, it's such a horrible week, you know? But that scripture says to me, Joe, you're in your flesh. Be joyful always. And not just for no reason, for good reason. You know, this is going to go by quick. And then we're going to be with him. I really felt that uh, got Jock and uh, Janetia and Auntie Leslie and the kids, I really felt that uh, the Lord wanted to say to us that Danelle will continue to be a sign to us. Because where is Danelle right now? Danelle's on that side. Yeah, she's in eternity right now. We're going to her. She's not coming to us, but we are going to her. She just left before us. But, I, but A and B, we know that God is the God of the living, not the dead. And that, that scripture is about Abram and Moses, etc. We know they were still living. Danelle's not dead now. She is still alive. She's just in another place alive. So Danelle's alive right now. We're alive. We're just in different places. And I felt like the Lord wanted to remind us of that. Because if we're in that place, we're, we're, ready, we're getting ready for where Danelle is already. We're not just, let's build my house here. We're like, my house there is waiting for me. And this house here is going to be, yeah? We know that this earth will be burned with fire. Those beautiful curtains and that lovely uh, wallpaper you put on, burned with fire. All right, next one. So be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Can we, can we uh, just get that song, Chris? Don't worry, be happy. Can we just play that? No, no. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, come back to the slide. Chris is getting worried. Uh, you, Joey, why? You never gave me that. All right, back to the slide, please. Okay. Uh, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. I've got a few few things on this. Uh, patient is the word, uh, Greek word, hupermeno. It means hupermeno. Everyone say hupermeno. Okay. It means stay under. Everyone say stay under. 
when you're going through a trial, so patience in affliction, when you're going through a trial, stay under it. Don't bail. Don't run for the hills. Just stay there. Just be still. You know, when God's trying to do some surgery and you're moving around, it's a big mess. Just, uh, it's, it'll be way neater. Just be still. Be still and know that he is God. Stay under. And the reason why you stay under is, is I've got three points. A, God is in control of all things. Okay, you got it. You got to have this in your theology. God is in control of all things. The word for that is anyone know? God is all powerful. Anyone know the word? Omnipotent. So God is omnipotent. You got to have that in your theology, Isaiah, because it's going to affect how you live your life. Isaiah forty three thirteen. Yes, and from ancient days or from eternity, I am here. It's God talking. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? God's basically saying, I can do anything I want and I will do it. And no no one can stop me. I, the boss of all things, and I know what you're going through. I control all things. Uh, John Piper says that even Satan is on a leash. He's holding the leash. God. He's not out of control. So even when you're being afflicted and you feel like, this is definitely Satan, you know? God is controlling how much. We see that in the life of Job, that, that, that God said, Job, you can, uh, said to Satan, you can do this much in Job's life, but not that. You're always putting boundaries on how much Satan can do because God's controlling it. And then we see eventually in Job 42.2 in the NLT that Job eventually just lies still and says, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. God is omnipotent. I know that you can do anything, God, and that no one can stop you. You need to yield to the fact. Ideally, you need to look at your whole life, and anything happening in your life that you are fairly clear was not your bad choices that you were making. Like what I mean is, I mean, if you if you jump off a cliff because you're being silly... You're going to get hurt. That's, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you, you're trying to live your life wisely. You, you've, something bad happens that you know that wasn't through bad decision making. Just lie still. Okay, God, you know, you've brought this thing. I'm just going to lie still. Okay, God, what are you doing? Knowing that he is in control of all things and knowing that he will use everything for the good. And that brings us up to our next point, Romans 8.20. Eight, which many of you guys have hung on to, myself included. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So I notice that, well, notice that it says all things, not some things. That even the bad circumstances that happen to you, that God is somehow able to use it for the good. And here's interesting. That would suggest even your bad decision making. Even your bad decisions that you made, that God is like, what are you doing? That suggests that even those bad things, he can turn around for the good. Isn't that cool? I mean, that does say all things. And as far as I know, the Greek says all things. 
He will use all things for the good. Now that should really make you relax. That should really make you go, sure Lord. And we see this in the example of Joseph's life, that apparent bummers that happens to Joseph, God used for the good. From the pit to the prison, eventually to the throne. I mean, we look at the life of Joseph, we think that these things that happened were devastating and clearly not in the will of God. But we saw that God somehow was able to turn them around to move Joseph forward. I've even seen this Christian book written, I can't remember the author, but he, the, the name of the book was Failing Forward. It's God's even able to take our failures and somehow move us forward. That I'm like, I'm just getting moved forward all the time. God's just moving me forward. Which is a beautiful thing. And see, because we know that we're destined for glory. Okay, so because we know where we're going, which is a really good place. We know that this thing shall pass. So in the midst of that trial, in the midst of the suffering, you're going, this is temporary. And Revelation 21.4 explains why it's temporary. Because we know that when we get to eternity, from the book of Revelation, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that just refreshing? In eternity, there isn't this drama. This perfect contentment in Him. All, every one of your needs met in Him. Forever and ever. Some of you might think, and it's easy to think that often, I, but I have so many trials. I've got so many things that I'm struggling with. Why? And Psalm 34, 19, if you've never discovered the scripture, is a very, very interesting scripture, ESV. You probably don't have that on your fridge, but maybe you should. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or them out of them all. I mean, you don't really want to hear it, do you? That many are the... Okay, Sarah's just going to uh, share a quick poem. During worship, when we were singing that song um, about God's faithfulness, I actually felt the Lord say to me, I must read this poem. And it's a poem I wrote years ago, and it's my, my story. It's my life, my testimony, actually. And um, just as Joey's preaching, it's, it's exactly what he's saying. And there's a scripture in Revelation where it says, and they overcame um, by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony. And so, you know what Joey's saying? Like you were saying, you feel like, um, but you don't know what I'm going through. My story is different, but actually God knows. And so the poem is called, God, You Are There. 
Um, sorry, I'm a bit nervous because it's quite, you know, it's a vulnerable place because it's my story. Um, God, you're there. You were there at my conception. You breathed a new life. Your fingerprints all over me as you formed me and whispered, you are mine. The enemy planned death, but you delivered me from the deep waters at a tender age when I could not swim. You had ordained that I live. You spoke. You are mine. The enemy planned rejections, lies, hurt. The list is endless. You watched and wept as the family you placed me in was torn apart, abandoned. You held me, hedged me in within the boundaries of your outstretched arms and shouted, you are mine. The enemy came again, this time to strip away, to strip away the innocence of a child too young to protect herself from one who would violate and shame. Confusion, anger, shame, brokenness, insecurity, unforgiveness, a medley of emotions, constant companions through my childhood. You were there, ever calling out to me, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. Your son, 2,000 years ago, cried out, it is finished. You beckoned me, child, you are mine. You once again breathed, and you spoke, child, live. You washed me in the waters, delivered me yet again. You impressed upon my heart, child, you are mine. You picked up the pieces of a shattered life. You redeemed and restored. Your grace, the balm that covers over the cracks. Your love, immeasurable love. Your love assures me with joy in my heart, I am yours. Thanks, sir. That's beautiful. So you may ask, why? Why does God allow this suffering? And as we know, the greater men have tackled this topic than myself. Um, but let me give it a go in a nutshell. But the testing of our faith is to make our faith stronger and make our faith purer. 1 Peter 1, 4-7 says, And into inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We know that gold, the description of gold, we know that gold is made pure by fire. And I think when we first get saved that our faith is selfish to many degrees. We, for many of us when we get saved, we feel like God is lucky to have us. Man, God is lucky to have me. I mean, I'm shiny. 
And then as we go on and as we humble and as we go through stuff, we realize, I'm lucky to have God. <laughs> you know, Andrew often says, he says, when I first got saved, I wanted to save the world. Now when I'm old, I just want to save myself. It makes our faith purer. And not only that, the longer we follow him, the more we start to realize that the million bucks that's coming is crazy good. And then we start to want to give up more for it. We stop worrying about this and we start worrying about that. We start worrying about where Danelle is and going, that is brighter than I ever thought it was. And it's almost like the longer you walk with Jesus, the brighter that becomes. This earth starts to become more dull and that becomes more brighter instead of the other way around. When you first get saved, this is bright and that's dark. And then as you walk in Jesus, that gets brighter and this gets darker. And then you're willing to give up more. So your faith becomes purer, especially through the suffering because it tests. God tests us. What are you in this for? Are you in this for this? When he takes away your stuff? And then, okay, let's see what you're going to do. Took away your toy. Are you in this for that? Takes away your health, a little bit of your health. What are you in? Are you in for this body is going to go in 80 years or 90 years? Or if you're lucky, 100? Do you even want to go to 100? (laughs) Or for that body that will never die, this big, shiny, awesome body. What are you in it for? It purifies us. Purifies our faith. Selfish faith becomes selfless faith. And then the second reason why do we go through the suffering is to make our faith stronger. And for those of you that have had a baby before, when the baby's born, he's got these two little things dangling off the bottom of their bodies. They're called legs. Okay? But they're absolutely useless. For about the first six months, they're just dangling there. The only way those legs will get stronger and actually become legs is through pressure. Is through risk of standing up, I might fall. And as the pressure and the risk works through those legs, and I remember watching Ethan uh, at about one year hold onto that coffee table and go, okay, I'm going to do it. Let's go to the coffee table. I'm going. I'm going. Those legs transition from useless little appendages at the bottom of your trunk to proper legs. And your faith is a little bit like it when you first get saved. It's like these two little dangly bits, you know. And then as the, the faith is tested through perseverance and through your perseverance, they become stronger. I've got a wrap. Let me land this section with. Okay. Let me put a, is it, I think the English word is caveat. I've never used that one before, but I think it is. Let me put a condition here. But this only happens if you persevere. It's only as Ethan let go of the coffee table, walked two steps, fell over. If, he, if, if that was it, I've fallen over, okay, that's it. It would have ended there. 
But it doesn't end there. He perseveres. He gets up again and goes, let me give this another go. Three steps. This will only happen if you persevere in your faith. And we see that in Hebrews 10.35, which is obviously the great, the book that contains the great passage on faith. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Is that it, Chris? Sorry. Uh, th- 36. Maybe at 30. No, no, try 36. 10.36. So hang on to 35. Yeah. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. So that when you've done the will of God, you receive what has promised. You need to persevere. Without the perseverance, you're not going to see what God's trying to do. Without, when you don't get up again in Him, you're not going to see what God wants to do in Him. And let me land this section. I've got one more, but let me land this section uh, with the example from Moses. Now, I've, never, I've seen the scripture there, but I've never really let it get in my heart. But it's pretty different view on Moses than I think we often look at. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 27. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Underlined. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Underlined. Because he was, underlined, looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Do you see him who is invisible? Do you see him? Because if you see him with your spiritual eyes, you will persevere. Because this place is not a void, he exists. The scriptures say that, um, that we must believe that he exists. Find it. It's there. He exists because you know he's there and he sees. He's the God who sees. You persevere because you know he's there. Moses did this because he saw him who is invisible. All right, last one. The slide again, Chris, please. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Last one, persistent in prayer. We know that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. We see that in James 5, 16 to 17. Uh, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. You heard Sarah share a testimony earlier about they prayed on Wednesday night for someone that had COVID in hospital that had 40%. I've never heard of anyone that's got 40% um, oxygen level. The lowest I think I've ever heard of coming back from was like 70 or something. 40 is like you're going to be, you're going into eternity. They pray on Wednesday night. On Thursday, she's breathing fine and then she gets discharged on. She gets discharged on Thursday. Prayer is incredible. They were led in prayer. I mean, that's, that's miraculous. 
That's absolutely miraculous. Be persistent in prayer. Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain. He prayed again that it rained, it rained. And he was a man just like us. I prayed for my dad. My dad has come back from pancreatic cancer. That was like 10 years ago. People don't come back from pancreatic cancer. That's what Steve Jobs had. Like, uh, ask, it's a death sentence. We're talking months, not years. It's been 10 years. He's in full remission. I prayed for him so many times. He's had two hip operations, two hip replacements. He's just had uh, onset of um, diabetes. So he gets injections now. I, I'm convinced that he's still here on earth because I pray for him. And I, honestly, he is the person I prayed for more than anyone I prayed for in my life. And it almost it asked Donna, every single time I'm with my dad, I almost pray for him. Take his hand, pray, pray with him for health. Prayer is powerful. You've got to believe in it. Remember, we're looking at be persistent in prayer, yeah? Paul encourages us to, uh, encourages us to persevere in prayer. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11. So just look at this. This is Paul now. Remember, we looked at Paul earlier in his life. We saw all the suffering he went through. Then he asked us to be joyful. Now he's asking us to be persistent in prayer. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. If you felt like sometimes you don't even want to carry on living, uh huh. So did Paul. Okay, I'm just, uh, Jesus, just take me now. If you've ever felt like that, so did Paul. He's so utterly burdened beyond his strength. I'm like, I can't enemy. You know, Afrikaans uh, army style, they say, Kani mieni, corporal. Kani mieni. Yeah, that's, that's a Kani mieni, verse 8, all right? In uh, the Afrikaans army version. Okay, so this is the A-A-V. Okay? Kani mieni, corporal. Indeed, we felt that we'd receive the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves. There's another point. I could have put that point in the, in the, in the preach as well. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God. There's another one there why you get tested. So that you rely not on yourselves, but on God. He raises the dead. Next verse. Verse 10. He deliver, delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul's faith has grown that he knows God's going to come through for him. Because he's come through for, and that was the part I skipped. Verse 11, you must also help us by prayer. Help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. We need to pray. You need to pray for yourself. You need to pray for others. And Paul's saying, thank you for your prayers. Because the prayers is what carried us through when we could kanyameni. In a, a, a Durban accent. Um, the prayers are carrying us through. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition. Every situation. Present your request to God. And we know that God's peace comes. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen to 18 says, We must go on praying every day. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Pray continually. This is the Bible. Saying we must rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And I'll finally finish with a quote from John Wesley again. I started with him and I'll finish with him. On the subject of prayer. Bear up the hands that hang, bear up the hands 
that hang down by faith and prayer. Support the tottering knees. Have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and persevere therein and mercy will come down. We're going to do this thing, but we're going to do this thing with prayer. Anything that's lasted more than 200 years is good. Bear up the hands that hang down by faith and prayer. Support her tottering knees. Have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and persevere therein and mercy will come down. Trust that was an encouragement to you guys today.